Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. The energy. How does anybody live and drive in Boston every single day? This guy stopped in the middle of the road with his hazard lights on. This guy won't yield. That guy won't let you go. That guy passes in front of you. That guy goes three lanes of traffic all in one shot. How does anybody do this? The passion. Look, if the Red Sox aren't going to play Yoshida endeavors as they're about to get swept, then we might as well just give up and go home. The opinions on all your favorite teams. I'm glad that Mac Jones looks better. That's really important. He needs to look better. But if it were a video game, he'd still have an overall rating of 76, and that ain't cutting it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Thursday to you on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Short show today, 40 minutes. We're up until 6.10. And at that point, we give way to Red Sox baseball. Sox split the series yesterday with the Rangers. Great pitching performance by Brian Bayo. They look to win the series tonight. Our coverage, 6.10. First pitch, 7.10. Old friend Nathan Valdi on the mound for the Texas Rangers against Cutter Crawford. We're brought to you by Fecto Homes, your total home solution in Montpelier. The text line is open, 802-585-3026. It's brought to you by Ayer Auto Sales, ayerautosales.com, right there on North Main Street in Barrie, where they go above and beyond for their customers. Uh, you can get in there as always. Buster Olney of ESPN is going to stop by with us in about 15 minutes, talk some Red Sox, talk some national baseball stuff as well as we head toward the All-Star break. So we don't have a lot of time before Buster, so let go. Five. Four, three, two, one. And here we go. Opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations at Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com, and they've got that new location opening up in New York over in Rouse's Point. Before we get to Buster, I want to start with the Boston Celtics because the big news last night was that the Celtics are trading or have traded Grant Williams to the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for a pair of second round draft picks. So here's how this worked. Grant Williams signed or is signing a four year, $53 million deal with the Celtics. And then is immediately being traded to the Mavericks in what we call a sign and trade. And the Celtics are getting back a couple of second round picks. Now let me state this. There are more moves to come for the Boston Celtics We can't fully judge this until those additional moves are made. But let me just be clear. Additional moves need to be made. Okay, I am not a Grant Williams fan. I've said that for years. I certainly don't hate him. I don't hate players. But I don't love Grant Williams. Okay, 3 and D guy. And while I know that's valuable in today's NBA, it's not like he's the best 3 and D guy there was. He's a guy who wasn't even playing for you in the playoffs in a lot of times this year. So... I can do without Grant Williams, and I can do without paying Grant Williams, you know, $14 million a year. Okay, I, So I'm okay with Grant Williams being gone. What I'm not okay with is the Celtics just picking up second-round picks and hoarding them in their pocket. Chris Gasper of the Boston Herald, I think it's the Boston Herald, he was on NBC Sports Boston last night, and he was talking about how the Celtics have all this flexibility Yeah, I mean, I don't mind this deal. You know, I think that what they wanted to do was retain some flexibility during the year. If you sign Grant Williams to this deal, if you match this deal, 
then you're over that second apron and you lose a lot of flexibility in terms of your roster. Like if you're making a deal during the year, it has to match dollar for dollar. Now you have a trade exception. It's about, you know, six and a half million. You could get a Patty Mills for that. You could get a Ricky Rubio for that. You could get a guy like Trey Mann. Let's say there's too many people in Oklahoma City. There are other players you could get to plug holes. If you did this, you were sort of locked into the roster. So the Celtics are getting officially a 2004 and two, uh, 2024 and 2028 second round pick from the Mavericks, and then a 2025 second round pick swap. So, okay, so the Celtics are picking up, picking up additional second round picks. Look, now now there's more deal, more info coming out here. Celtics are receiving multiple second round picks. Yeah, we had that. There's somebody else in here that's throwing in that maybe the Celtics are giving up a couple of second-round picks, too, in the future, but we don't know the year yet. Nonetheless, Celtics are hoarding second-round picks. Okay, and let me just be clear. The Boston Celtics are worse today than they were at the end of the season. Okay, and that has to change. We could talk about flexibility. We could talk about savings. We could talk about Grant Williams all we want. The fact of the matter is the Boston Celtics are worse today than they were at the end of the season. You've lost Marcus Smart, the heart and soul of your team, and your best defender. You've lost Grant Williams, who is, again, not my favorite guy, but a, a, a usable piece, a guy who was capable of having a big game every now and then and did against the Milwaukee Bucks last year in the playoffs. I guess now it's two years ago in the playoffs. And now you have a worse version of Malcolm Brogdon as well because Malcolm Brogdon is injured and so injured, in fact, that the Clippers didn't want him in an original deal for in the Porzingis deal. So... You've lost Smart, you've lost Williams, you've got a worse version of Brogdon, and now you have Porzingis. That team today is worse. The goal for the Boston Celtics is how do we get better? The goal for the Boston Celtics is how can we not lose in the final? How can we not lose in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final? The goal is how can we win the NBA championship? And right now, the Boston Celtics are further away from that goal than they were when they exited the court at the end of the season in the loss against Miami. That is a fact. I don't think that's I don't think that that's arguable. You have a team now that right now is going to have to feature Peyton Pritchard more prominently. You have a team right now that doesn't have a, a true point guard. You have a team right now that, yes, has Porzingis. And that's good, but you are out multiple other useful pieces. So to get back to Gasper's point about flexibility, flexibility is great. My question is, what are you going to do with that flexibility? Hey, save all the money you want. Save this. Accumulate all the picks that you want. What are you going to turn it into? Hey, there's a time and place for flexibility. There's a time and place for payroll flexibility. There's a time and place for holding assets. That That's all great. That's not where the Celtics are at right now. That's where the Oklahoma City Thunder are at. That's where the Detroit Pistons are at. That's where the Orlando Magic are at. Bad teams who are rebuilding are at that place. The Boston Celtics are at the win the championship place. So how do I do that? How do I turn this savings? How do I turn those picks into something that helps me win the title because what I have now is a team that is not capable of winning the title. That is a problem. 802-585-3026 on the Air Auto text line. Uh, John says, I love the bit about driving in Boston in the intro. There you go. And text says, the Grant Williams trade is puzzling unless the Celtics are saving money for Damian Lillard. 
I don't know who the Celtics are saving money for, but they better be able to see they, they better be saving the money and the picks for something. Mark wants to know what moves do I see coming? I don't know. Okay, I don't think it's possible to get Damian Lillard without Jalen Brown. So all this saving money for Damian Lillard, I don't think they can do that. And plus, Lillard only wants to go to Miami. His agent is on the offensive telling people, don't trade for my client. He only wants to go to Miami. So I don't think it's Lillard. They need a true point guard, and I don't think there is one that's easily available to them, especially not for all. Like, just look at the Celtics' assets. A bunch of second-round picks. Second-round picks are largely useless. I want everybody to know that. Second-round picks in the NFL, good. Second-round picks in the NBA, largely useless. They do almost absolutely nothing for me. Okay, Draymond Green, Draymond Green, good second-round pick. Isaiah Thomas, good second-round pick. Nikola Jokic, great second-round pick. It does happen, but it doesn't happen often. Usually, when we get to the lottery, or out of the lottery, most of us, I've never heard of players, and they don't do a whole lot. That's just the reality of the NBA draft somehow. So second-round picks aren't doing me a lot of good. What am I turning these second-round picks into for somebody else? Am I turning multiple seconds into a late first that now is a tradable asset? Am I turning multiple seconds into a veteran player that can help me? Maybe. The Boston Celtics are out of the hoarding assets stage of their development, and they are in the win the title stage of their development. Hoarding assets, man, again, that's for the Houston Rockets. That's for the Orlando Magic. That's for small market teams who are really bad and who are trying to find their way again. That's not for the Celtics. So I'm fine with no Grant Williams. I like not having Grant Williams, but what are you turning that into? Because the Celtics got to try to win the whole thing. They've got to try to win the whole thing. I mean, I'm going to pull up quickly a list of free agents. I mean, Gasper mentions like Ricky Rubio, and so, and that's that's fine. The Celtics could use a Ricky Rubio type. Problem is Ricky Rubio is never healthy. And I don't know that you're going to be able to get somebody significantly better than that with all of these assets, especially. I mean, let's look at the people here. I'm looking at the top free agents. Almost all of them have been have been signed by somebody else at this point, right? Like, they've almost all been signed. I mean, we go down through, like, the top 50, and they're nearly all gone. So you're not getting anything on the free agent market that's going to be a significant piece for you. It's going to have to come on the trade market. And, I mean, Eric Gordon, gone. Derek Rose, gone. Dennis Schroeder, again, gone. Not a lot is out there. What are you doing with these savings? That something that I got to know. Again, 802-585-3026. Text says, would Brad Stevens risk trading picks for James Harden in a sign-and-trade? Number one, the, the picks are irrelevant. So if Philadelphia wanted multiple second-round picks for James Harden, then then, like, that's a move that I could see a team wanting. Like, I would take James Harden at that rate. I don't want James Harden on the Celtics, okay? I just don't want James Harden on the Celtics. He's not a winning player, and he will infiltrate this roster in a negative way in the same way we saw Kyrie Irving do it. I don't have interest 
in James Harden. If you told me all it took to get him was multiple second-round picks, I'd tell any other team in the league to do that. I wouldn't do it for the Celtics. I, th- this is not getting Lillard. I don't want Harden. Maybe you're only left with the Ricky Rubio types. And again, if he was healthy, I'd say fine. I want the team to have Lonzo Ball. That's the ideal player the Celtics need. He just may never play again because of his knee issues. So that ain't happening, obviously. But that's the kind of player the Celtics need, right? The Celtics needed a guy like Chris Paul. Yeah, Tex says, I don't want Harden. He's too selfish. The Celtics needed a guy like Chris Paul. Money-wise, they probably couldn't have made it work, and I get it. Paul was injured a lot, and he's older. But that's the kind of player they needed, a guy who can make everybody better, for sure. I mean, the Celtics have needs right now at the point guard position. They signed their draft pick today. Uh, Jared Walsh out of uh, Arkansas. They signed him to a four-year deal, like $7.5 million. Um, You know, that's kind of the rookie rate, so nothing all that crazy. But that's just they got him again to the uh, four-year deal. I mean, the Celtics signed O'Shea Brissett, who's a guy who was 6'7". He's a forward, though. He played for the Raptors. He played for the Pacers. He's averaged eight a game and four rebounds. So he might be something, but he's not the point guard that they need. Maybe he could fill in the gaps a little bit for Grant Williams, but he's not the guy that they need. He played in the G League a lot over the last couple of years as well. Um, I look at the Celtics roster right now. I'm going up and down the roster right now. Brichette, again, get Brogdon. He was a guy who would think could step into the point guard slot, but I don't know if he's going to be here, nor do I know how healthy he is. J.D. Davison picked him last year out of Alabama, 6'1". He's a point guard type. We have no idea if he can play. We barely saw him last year. Peyton Pritchard, eh. Derek White, maybe he can step into the point guard spot, but I do like him at the number two. They don't have a point guard right now, and they need one. So with all this money that they've saved by not signing Grant Williams and all these picks. Better find a way to turn it into something. Tex says, Celtics seem like a good team that isn't going to advance. It doesn't seem to be in the cards. It could be, but they've got to turn these assets into something. They have some cap spit, They have some money space, and they have picks. It's got to become something. Let's go out to the phone line now and bring on our guy, Buster Olney. we got to talk to Buster. We do that every Thursday here at 545 or so. Red Sox baseball coming up at 610. First pitch is 710. Sox won yesterday. A great performance by Brian Bayo. Buster, our last talk before the All-Star break. How are you? I'm doing great. What's going on? Our final talk before the All-Star break. The Red Sox are back over 500 again at 44 and 43. And Brian Bayo, seven innings last night, doing things the Red Sox haven't seen from a young pitcher since Roger Clemens more than 30 years ago. He's been very impressive over the last month or so. He really has been. You know, uh, before we had him on a Sunday night baseball game earlier this year, I asked him evaluators, you know, what do you see in him? And I was getting back, well, he's kind of a middle of the rotation, back end of the rotation type guy. Uh, and, you know, he's someone that's, you know, number three or number four. And I think he's demonstrating he's more than that. Uh, and not only because he has excellent stuff uh, with the way that he uses off speed to complement his sinker, but I also think the mound presence. I mean, it just jumps out at you when you see him pitch in person. This is someone with a ton of confidence. And I'm curious to see how he develops going forward. But, you know, in a season that I think, generally speaking, is shaping up to sort of be a lost year for the Red Sox, I think his emergence is probably the best thing that's happened. 
You know, Buster, I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? I was a soft-tossing righty. I enjoy people who who pitch, right? Like, I enjoy people who know how to pitch and manipulate pitches and work the strike zone, et cetera. So I tend to not get too wrapped up in strikeout numbers. But we've been conditioned to get wrapped up in strikeout numbers. And Bayo last night, only three strikeouts against the Rangers. He's only got 70 strikeouts and 80 innings this year. If I'm looking for him to become an ace in the future, should I be a little bit at least – noticing that he's not getting big strikeout numbers like everybody else does. No, uh, because the strikeout numbers, as you know, are just outsized right now in this era. Um, and, and when you and I were growing up as kids, the idea that someone would have 70 strikeouts in 80 innings, that would actually be okay. Mm. <laughs> you know, and teams have gravitated, the industry has gravitated toward high strikeout numbers because it means control for the pitcher. Um, it means that the pitcher is missing bats, which means there's a less chance that something bad is going to happen. But you know what? Uh, I think the way he pitches is great. The contact against him, and I don't have the data in front of me in terms of soft contact versus hard contact, but the guy clearly is causing problems for opposing hitters, and he seems to be growing it before our eyes, and I think he'll be fine as he moves forward. Buster, Red Sox came out with an interesting announcement yesterday, or Alex Cora did. They're going to start playing Justin Turner more often at second base, and this means a couple of different things to me, right? It means that it's really the best way to maximize their offense, and it kind of leads the way for Trevor Story to come in here as a DH when he's ready here, hopefully sometime end of July, early August or so. What would you make of the revelation that we're going to see 38-year-old Justin Turner playing a little more second base? That you've got a manager who's trying to make chicken salad out of less than that. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, their offense has been an issue, as you know. And Justin Turner's had a really good season. He's been productive. They want to make sure they keep him on the field. But, you know, I talked to a couple of evaluators last night about that idea. And I, I got to say, I got over the phone the, the equivalent of eye rolls. Like, to playing Justin Turner at second base, in their eyes, is, is you know, potentially an issue. But Alex, I'm, I'm guessing, and I haven't asked him specifically about this, I'm guessing he's going to wind up using Turner in situations where you don't have a ground ball pitcher on the mound, where his range at 38 is not going to be a factor. Uh, I know Alex, in, in recent years with defensive shifts, was really good at protecting uh, some infielders uh, by you know stacking up a shift and, and not asking him to do too much. With the shift regulations, you can't do that as well. And so, yeah, you know, uh, Justin Turner out at second base, you're probably going to see some balls that he's not going to be able to get to. And, and Alex knows the equation and the trade-off that he's willing to make. Buster, I asked Tom Karen of Nesson about this yesterday. I want to ask you about this, too, because you see this on a national level. So on, on Monday – yeah, Monday. No, Tuesday, July 4th. We saw Jaron Duran, who was a seven for his last eight with six extra base hits, get pinch hit for against a lefty, and the Red Sox are down 6-1, to one, right? They're down 6-1, and Duran gets pinch hit for against a lefty, and they're really trying to keep him out of playing against lefties. And in that situation, that bothers me because I want to see if a young player could become an everyday player and play against both-handed pitchers. And I asked TC about it. I'll ask you. I understand the business is trying to optimize itself for success, and I understand they're trying to put everybody in the best positions to succeed, but how frustrated do players get that they get pigeonholed and not allowed to fully develop? Yeah, it, it can be. Um, it definitely can be something that can be frustrating. I'll give you an example recently. You know, J.D. Davis, when he was with the Mets, yeah. 
Uh, you know, he was told, like, look, we're, we're mostly going to use the outfield because we think you're terrible defensively. I mean, that's obviously not exactly what they said, but they limited his time. And, and so he felt frustrated with some of the choices that they made. Uh, and he goes to San Francisco uh, in a trade in the middle of last year. He begins to get regular reps, daily reps as a third baseman. Now he's really good. And it turned out he's a good player. And by the way, it does feel like he's har- he harbors some anger about how he was treated. Um, you know, the Dodgers, when Andrew Freeman took over the baseball ops there, they tried to put in a system where they put in a lot of young players. Justin Turner was a part of that. And it took them six or seven years to get buy-in from players, where the players would be like, okay, I get it. Tampa Bay Rays had the same thing. But there are definitely young players who don't like the way that that plays out because they feel like that the decision's been made that, you know what, you can't hit lefties. You know what, you can't hit righties. We're not going to give you the opportunity to do that. And you and I both know this, players make adjustments all the time. They can change, but a lot of the modern analytics and how they evaluate players and how they draw up lineups is based on the information to date. So I do think that there are probably some development of young players that get truncated because of this idea that we're going to chase every data point. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox will wrap up the first half of this season against the Oakland A's. It would be nice to get a three-game sweep at Fenway. And then, Buster, it's on to the All-Star break. You're going to be out in Seattle. I'm very, very jealous of you. The uh, home run derby <laughs> field got finalized yesterday. I got to say, and I don't have the research here in front of me either, but... There are seven right-handed hitters in the home run derby, and then there's Adley Rutschman, who's a switch hitter, who said he may take some right-handed swings. I can never remember an all-one-handedness derby field. No, I can't either. There are typically, there's a mix, uh, and it'll be interesting. You probably know better than I do about, you know, how does the, what does that mean in T-Mobile Park, and, and does that mean that uh, if Adley winds up hitting left-handed, and that's where I think he's going to wind up landing? You know, does that give him an advantage? Um, I, I'm fascinated by this field because of some of the, the interpersonal stuff between the players. Uh, for example, we have a first-round matchup between Adolis Garcia of, uh, of the, of Rangers, the yeah. Rangers and Randy Rosarena, who both came up in the Cardinals organization. They both came from Cuba. They have, uh, you know, they were roommates when they were minor leaguers. Mm. There's going to be some Serious smack talking between those two guys <laughs> in this thing. That's going to be a lot of fun. Pete Alonso and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had an an epic showdown in 2019 when they were in the Derby before. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I'm wondering about Mookie Betts. And, you know, is he sandbagging everybody by telling them, you know, well, I don't really want to do the Derby. You and I both know he's such a phenomenal athlete. Maybe Clayton McCullough, his BP pitcher, will be able to consistently group pitches right where Mookie wants them, and he'll shock the world because he's the one lightweight in, all, in this uh, field that's mostly comprised of heavyweights. There's some great uh, stories, I think, with these guys. You know, it's it's I love the Derby. I've always loved the Derby, and that's obvious because I'm a baseball fan. But we look at other sports and their all-star challenges, right? The dunk contest is, is way not the same as it used to be. Why is it that the Derby has kind of been able to remain timeless and has been able to still attract big stars and is still a major draw in the way that some of those other all-star events aren't? Well, and I give some credit to the players, the stars themselves, right? Yeah, I would too, I mean, yeah. Vladimir Guerrero, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a star. And so for him to do it now a second time, 
tells you that, you know, he likes the event. It's fun. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it's right in the alley of what he's trying to do. But he's actually doing it. Pete Alonso, you know, since he debuted in 2019, he has more homers than anybody else in baseball. More homers than uh, Aaron Judge. More homers than Shohei Otani. But the first time I met Pete and talked to him about the Derby, he's like, I'll always do the Derby. Like, mm. I love the Derby. He said, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that was a fun event. And how great is it that baseball gets that as opposed to, and I think Mookie Betts had a quote along these lines, as opposed to, say, you know, LeBron James, who doesn't do the dunk contest. Yeah. The NBA could use those guys in that event. Baseball's been fortunate in that every year they manage to have stars in the Derby. And it's part of the reason why, you know, there's a chance that uh, not only, you know, could this be the, the highest rated uh, ESPN baseball-related uh, content of the summertime, but it also might come close to beating the All-Star game for ratings, which, as you know, that would be remarkable. You mentioned Aaron Judge, and you've been on this from the beginning, right? He was on the 10-day IL. People thought it was going to be about 10 days. You said, ah, be careful with that. I They'll be lucky if he plays for the All-Star break. Well, now there's even a thought that maybe Judge could miss the entirety of the season here for the Yankees. What's going on? So I had Brian Cashman, the Yankee general manager, on my podcast yesterday and what he told me was is that you know internally there are some really positive signs they think he's improving but as I told you you know weeks ago it is a really touchy injury for a guy six foot seven 282 pounds and they have to be careful because they know this if he has a major setback that's it he's not going to come back for the season after hearing Brian talk about this yesterday I walked away saying you know what they actually think that they have a real chance to get him back um, and, and not necessarily soon. I, I think they'd be thrilled if he played sometime in July. But they are seeing him take strides forward. Judge told reporters the other day that, you know, if he were to try to come back now, he'd be running at about 10%. That's not going to help anybody. Uh, you know, but for the Yankees to get the potential of getting Judge back, Carlos Rodon, you know, Harrison Bader's in the lineup. I do think they'll make some additions before the trade deadline. Uh, I think there, uh, you know, there's a chance it's going to be a better team as we get to get into late in the year. Finally, Shohei Otani left his start the other day with that cracked fingernail. It looks like, knock on wood, that he's going to be okay, but Mike Trout isn't okay. He's out for anywhere between four and eight weeks with this handmade fracture. I mean, Yu Chang did this for the Red Sox, and he's still not back yet. I think he did it at the end of April or very early in May, so it's certainly been a while for Chang to recover from this injury. How does this affect what the Angels do as they've fallen pretty drastically in the standings over the last week? In spring training, Artie Moreno, the Angels owner, said that as long as the Angels were competing, he was not going to trade Trout. And they are competing. Like, they're in the American League wildcard race. They're behind, and they have ground to make up, but they're certainly within range. Uh, but I got to tell you this. My instinct is is that even if they fall further out uh, and away from the AL wildcard teams like the Yankees and the Houston Astros, I don't know if Artie Moreno has the guts to make that trade. Because you know and I know when you have a potential free agent like this, there's always talk that, yeah, the team could trade him and get value and then re-sign the player. That almost never happens. It happened with the Roldis Chapman in 2016. Yankee traded him to the Cubs and then re-signed him in the offseason that followed that. But most of the time it slams the door on the player coming back. Uh, it, you, it, you can make a strong baseball case that it would be smart to put him out in the marketplace and see what kind of offers you get from teams like the Yankees. But <laughs> I just 
Artie Moreno to, to be uh, essentially communicating to his fan base that they might be prepared to move on from Otani, that that would take a lot of guts. And I will tell you this, last year, the, the Angels front office and doing its due, due diligence prepared trade scenarios involving Otani and did some early exploration on it. And then it was presented to Artie. And from what I understand, he went crazy. Like he was mad. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you entertaining this? idea and keep in mind too they also have these sponsorship deals that are tied to otani so my instinct is is that uh, they will keep him through the rest of the year and try to re-sign him as a free agent well Stroni, espn mlb insider is going to be out at all-star week next week in seattle is the uh, derbies on monday night on espn and then tuesday is the game as well a lot of other good stuff around all-star week as well with futures game and the draft etc buster i am on vacation next week so we will catch up again in two weeks i hope you have a great all-star week and we'll talk to you uh, in two weeks have a great vacation brady i will do my best to do just that thank you very much there goes buster Olney. Our ESPN MLB insider, Peter and Wilson, says on the AR Auto text line, 802-585-3026, Bayo has been awesome. Bayo has been awesome. I do think it's a legitimate question, though, about the strikeouts. And, and again, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I like guys who just pitch. I like guys who know how to manipulate the strike zone. But I tend to appreciate that in a guy who's a four or a five starter, right? Like some guy who's like a plucky underdog at the back end of the rotation who just kind of goes about his business. When I think about an ace, and I think about the leader of a staff, I think about a guy who can get you a strikeout when he needs to. I think about a guy who's going to put up seven strikeouts, eight strikeouts, ten strikeouts. And it's just the way it is. And Bayo right now isn't doing that. It doesn't mean he's not going to get there. He's been great. He's got good stuff. There's a good changeup, good sinker. Alex Cora talked about the cutter. He might be, Maybe he'll develop a wrinkle more like a true slider or a bigger curveball at some point. Maybe he will. And he may be that ace, but I think it's fair to wonder about the strikeout numbers right now because I see those from other young pitchers. I haven't seen them yet from Bale, but he has been great. I want to address something else Buster had to say and take a few more of your texts on the AR Auto text line next after CBS News on DEV. 96.1 WDEV FM Warren. 96.5 W243 AT Berry. 98.3 W252 CU Montpelier. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. This is former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and now we're back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVRadio.com. So Buster says people are not a fan of Justin Turner playing second base. I'm not really a fan of Justin Turner playing second base either. And it's interesting... So Turner played second yesterday. Alex Cora said Turner's going to play second baseman more often. Not every day, but more often. I believe this is all directly related to Trevor Story. Okay, The team wants to get Trevor Story in at DH, so they're trying to find other ways to get Turner in the lineup and guarantee that he's in the lineup. Right, So they can put him at first, but if you put him at first, then what happens to Costas? Well, now we can put Turner at second, and that allows Costas to play some first. So they are trying to figure out... How can we maximize our offense? How can we not totally obliterate our defense? And how can we get everybody who we're supposed to be taking care of in the lineup? Right? They have to play Story. They're paying Story $140 million. They have to play him. 
if Costas is going to be on the roster, they've got to play him as well because he's one of the young guys in their future. Unless they want to send him to AAA, they've got to play him. So I think this is all geared around Trevor Story. They want Story to come in and be the DH more often than not until he can play defense. They want Turner to have the ability to play first base in that case and play second base while also being able to play third. And then they want to be able to keep Costas in the lineup as much as possible because they have to take care of him. They also want to be able to rotate that, you know, to be find a way to get Duvall in and find a way to get Duran in. It's not easy with Story's going to come in here and take up the DH spot. It's not easy. What is interesting to me is that two weeks ago, Alex Cora was making moves all about defense. Now he's making moves about maximizing the offense because that's the group that's gone to hell, right? Two weeks ago, Pablo Reyes had to be the shortstop instead of Kike Hernandez because defense is all that mattered. Now we're going to sacrifice defense and put in a 38-year-old guy with no range to play there because it's all about the offense now. He can say it's about the offense. I think a lot of it is about story. It is maximizing the offense, yes, but I think a lot of it's about story. Tech says the Red Sox are so bad, Turner can play wherever we need him in the lineup. We need the hitting. That's fine. Okay, that's fine. But again, the defense is going to go to hell again. Texter says Garrett Cole wasn't a great strikeout pitcher as a rookie. I think Bayo was going to develop into a one or a two starter. I hope so. But also remember Garrett Cole came up, you know, 10 years ago, right? Like Garrett Cole came up at a different time, right? I'm watching George Kirby of the Mariners strike out five, six, seven guys a game. I'm watching Logan Gilbert, 26 years old, strike out, you know, seven, eight guys a game. Younger pitchers today can come up. Spencer Strider leads the world in, in strikeouts. So, again, it doesn't mean everything. It's just something that I've noticed that Bayo doesn't get a lot of Ks. Rangers are 51-36. and 36. They're in first in the AL West. Sox 44-43. and 43. They're in fifth in the AL East. Nathan Evaldi pitches 10 and 3 with a 264 for Texas. Man, we missed that guy. Cutter Crawford 3 and 4 with a 392. Marcus Semyon leads off at second. Corey Seeger's at short. Nate Lowe is at first. Adolis Garcia is in right. Josh Young's at third. Jonah Heim is the catcher. Ezekiel Duran's the DH. Robbie Grossman's in left. And Leody Tavares, the speedy outfielder, who also has 10 homers, bats ninth and plays center field. For the Sox, Alex Verdugo leads off in right. Justin Turner's back at DH today. Masataka Yoshida's in left. Rafi Devers is in third. Adam Duvall's in center. Tristan Casas is at first. Kike Hernandez is at second. David Hamilton at short. And Connor Wong is the catcher. Can we just get Jaron Duran to play shortstop? He's not in the lineup again today. Can we just get him to play shortstop? Find a way to get his bat in the lineup. Can we get Duran at second? I don't care. He should be in the lineup more often than he's been in the lineup. Should be close to an everyday player right now. And he's not. We'll see you back at it tomorrow for another 40 minutes, everybody. Sox Baseball is next on DEV. It's time for the Mass Mutual Red Sox pregame show. Proudly brought to you by Mass Mutual. Mass Mutual. Insurance. Plan.